Well, good morning, church. How are we feeling this morning? Are we awake? Oh, I'm going to give that one another shot. How are we feeling this morning? Are we awake? All right. If you're watching online, Central Fam and my Zeal Jamaica family, they were roaring with applause both times. The mics were just muted. They're really excited to be here. No, seriously, guys, thank you so much. I, I'm starting, don't worry, I'm not going to keep my mask on the whole time. I said this in the, in the first service, and I just kind of like it. I, I feel like as a speaker, like taking my mask off is like, like letting the lion out of the cage. Like it's like Bane and like Batman. I'm just like, all right, so y'all ready? Here we go. All right, game on, here we go. You know what I mean? It's like when you have your warm up jumper on in a basketball game and you lose that thing, it's like game time. All right, so it's game time. I'm excited to be here with you guys. If you're new, if it's your first time, my name is Corey. You heard a little bit about me. I get to lead an amazing church full of phenomenal Jamaicans down in Kingston, Jamaica, known as Zeal. Everybody say Zeal on one, the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, what's up, Zeal, and uh, welcome to all you joining us on Church Online here for Central Around the Water's Edge family or down there in the Caribbean. It's a good morning to be here, good morning to be in live, and uh, we're going to continue this series like you just saw. By the way, Nate, our worship leader in that video, he looks so epic. <laughs> like, if I was him, I would post that on my Instagram immediately. Uh, but that was an awesome video. Sorry, I'm a little ADD when I teach. I'm like all over. In the first service, I was like in tears, and it's a good God moment. So we'll see what God does in this one. But um, if you're watching online, man, I would encourage you, just jump in, engage in the chat room. We have hosts there ready to say what's up. Let us know how we can be praying for you. But thank you again for all you tuning in, and thank you. For those of you here in person, down in Jamaica, we still have some regulations in place where we can't gather with more than 15 people or more. And so, like, I am, like, starving um, for attention. No, um, for uh, this. Don't, don't laugh that hard at that. Um, but I'm starving for these environments because there's something powerful when God's people gather. When we gather online, yes, thank you guys, and in person. So thank you for having me, Pastor Craig. Thank you for the privilege um, to be here and speak today. We're going to continue this series. If you have a Bible, open it up to 2 Kings chapter 25. 2 Kings chapter 25. 2 Kings chapter what? 25. Nice. Good job. Good job. I appreciate that. And while you're turning there, just to give you a quick update, like you heard Pastor Mike say, not only do I get to lead our church down in, our campus down in Kingston, Jamaica, but I get to work with, serve, kind of help oversee all of our international locations. And a few weeks ago, I was in Ukraine, in Kiev, Ukraine. Some of you, as soon as I said that, you were like, you went out of the country during this craziness. I just want to let you know, um, when I get to other countries, they're afraid of us. <laughs> they're like, ah, but I won't get into that right now. Um, but I get in, in Ukraine, in Kiev, and Pastor Peter Machenko and the team there at Transformation Church send their love. They are doing well. Many of the church have been through what many of us have been through, have kind of go, gone through the COVID. But they're, they're coming out of it. They're meeting about 60% of their churches gathered back together, meeting in two services. And on top of just getting to serve and preach there and, and catch up with them, Pastor Peter has launched 12 daughter churches outside out of um, Transformation Church, which is amazing, much like Central. Like you guys just keep launching churches because you believe it's not just about you and these four walls, but about what God is doing all over the world. And on behalf of one of those churches, can I just say thank you? Like look at the person next to you and tell them you're amazing because you guys are amazing. You are. Some of you aren't doing it. I don't know what fight you got in on the way here, but tell them. It's going to be okay. But Pastor Peterson's in love, and I got to spend a day with some of those lead pastors of the daughter churches dreaming about what the future of Water's Edge Eastern Europe is going to look like. And can I just tell you, amidst all that's going on, even in this season that feels like exile in 2020, God has some big things in store for 2021. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your generosity. But I'm just telling you guys, get ready 
for next year because we're believing in faith that God's going to move in mighty ways in Eastern Europe. Also in Cambodia and Indonesia, Pastor Pana and Pastor Sandy send their love. I was just corresponding with them this week. And of course, one more time, I'll mention your Jamaican brothers and sisters down at Zeal Jamaica. You all can come and hang with us in Jamaica at any time um, in Kingston or around the island. Just say, what's up, Zeal? And somebody will be like, wagwan, and they'll find you. So... With all that being said, we're going to jump right into the passage for today. And as I was studying it and reading it, I was reminded of something. Um, something I heard my entire life growing up. Um, my dad, every time I would leave the house, like from the time I can remember being conscious and actually have memories, I remember my father saying this to me. Like at my first day of school, he said it to me. Like when I would leave for a basketball or baseball tournament, the first time I got to spend the night at a friend's house, he would say this to me. I remember like the first time I would start going to parties and stuff in middle school and high school, my dad would always say, and there would be times I'd get to the front door, I would be outside the door, the door's about to shut, and I thought, he must have forgot this time. And the door, and he would, and I'd hear, Corey Donovan, that's my middle name, very Jamaican, and uh, the door would be about to shut, and he'd go, Corey Donovan, and I'd be like, Yes, sir. Sir, I'm from the South. If you don't respond with yes, sir or sir, you ain't going nowhere. And so I'd say, uh, yes, sir. He'd always say it. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And those words, like, I, they are ingrained in my soul. I heard them almost every day, every time I went somewhere. And this is pre-Lion King. He wasn't trying to Mufasa me. Like, this was like something my dad actually raised us with. And I remember, like, growing up, I didn't quite get the power of those words until eighth grade. In eighth grade, I got invited to, like, my first cool kids party. You remember when you got invited to, like, your first party, and you're like, ooh, party. And, and, and I went, and it was like a birthday party, and I showed up, and about three-fourths of the way through the night, you know, I, I'll never forget this. Um, my buddy, Sean Pierce, um, he was a bad influence then. Sean's a good guy. I still know him. Sean, I love you. You weren't a great influence in middle school. Um, Sean came up to me with a red Solo cup. Yeah. Um, y'all know nothing about those red solo cups at Central, but if you weren't raised in the church, a red solo cup usually means something. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was alcohol. Um, and um, he handed it to me, and I said, what's this? And he kind of gave me the look, like the wink. Now, I was in eighth grade. I was 14 years old, and I'll never forget this. He kind of gave me the wink, and I knew what it was. And I had never had a sip, ever had a sip. And uh, I took that cup, and I looked up, and Sean and, like, all my basketball teammates were looking at me. And then there was like the cute girl click. You know, there's always the cute girl click in middle school. And there's the one you have the crush on. And they were all staring at me. And I was like, what's Corey going to do? And I take said solo cup and I start to raise it to my lips. And I could have sworn everybody at the party heard this voice. I thought it was audible. But as loud as I'm speaking to you today in my own head and heart, I heard, remember who you are. And as I brought it to my cup, my lips, the cup to my lips, it hit me. Remember who you are. And in that moment, I remembered I'm Corey. But I'm not just Corey. I'm Corey Castle. I share a last name with my mother and father. So at this party, I represent Robert and Sheila Castle. I'm not just me. I represent my brother and sister, Sean and Brandy Castle. I represent the Castle clan. Like, remember who I remember. It's not just about me. Remember, I have a grandmother and grandfather and grandmother and grandfather that sacrificed and lived and paid so that I could be here. Remember, I have great-grandparents. Remember where I come from. Remember every environment I step into. I don't just represent Corey. I represent all of them and even more than that. I, I, I went to a great high school. We had a lot of school pride. We were the Pace Patriots up in Northwest Florida. And I thought, man, I represent my high school. 
And, and long before eighth grade, I had accepted Jesus. And it hit me in that moment. It was like a slow-mo moment. As the cup came to my lips, I thought, I represent my church, Manual Baptist Church there in Pace, Florida. And then I thought, I represent my God. I represent Jesus. Remember who, in that simple sentence, as, as the cup approached my mouth, I'll never forget, I just couldn't, it was ringing in my head, and I just went, no thanks, and I handed it back to him. And some of you picture like a Disney movie where the whole crowd's like, oh, dork. No, that, that didn't happen. Like, that doesn't happen in real life. People were just like, all right, and they just went on with the party. But that moment solidified in me the power of those words. Remember who you are. It, it reminds me of a show I'm watching right now. I'm always like the last to the party when it comes to like shows on Netflix and stuff, but I've been like binge watching The Crown. It's like a docu-series about Queen Elizabeth um, that is not an official endorsement from Central Church on any show. Um, and if I get in trouble for that, you won't see me again. Um, I don't know what that was. I like Pleiade when I said that or something, but... Um, but yeah, I was watching The Crown. One of the reasons I like this show is because there's, there's this moment in the first season where Elizabeth's dad, the king, dies. And Winston Churchill comes to her before her inauguration as queen and says, today you don't just mourn your father, you must mourn Elizabeth. Because you are no longer Elizabeth, you are the crown. And for the rest of your life, you will have two identities that always fight against each other. And for the rest of your life, the crown must win. You have a duty to your lineage, your heritage. That's a word we don't like much anymore, duty, right? Like we don't like this idea that we carry because it feels like a weight. But when you are proud of what you carry, it is not a weight, it is a privilege. And I love that just the, the, the seriousness, the sobriety of that. And it reminds me of this passage today. As we read 2 Kings chapter 25, I want us to remember, if you've said yes to Jesus, this is who you are. If you've said yes to Jesus, the Bible says we have been grafted in to God's chosen people. So when you read the Old Testament, the narrative, the historical account of God's chosen people, this is who we are. And so to just jump us off before we jump in, I want to start at the very beginning. Some of you are like, how far back are you talking, bro? Genesis 1-1. Let's go through the lineage of all of mankind. Some of you are like, does he know service is only an hour? Yeah, Pastor Craig said I can go all afternoon. This is second service. Amen? Nope, only one. <laughs> it's okay, I'm hungry too. So, Genesis 1 starts. God created Adam, right? We know that. God's first son, the preeminent Adam, the perfect one until he fell. And then we know the story. You can read Genesis, Exodus. Like there's this chain of people, Adam to, or God to Adam, Adam to Seth, Enos, Canaan. And it keeps going, it keeps going. And then we get to the all-star Abraham, right? We know Abraham. We all know that story. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. Do you all know that song here? Okay, a few of us. Thank you. I sang that at one church and they all just stared back at me. And I was like, was I raised wrong? Um, but Abraham, and Abraham's a big deal because Abraham was the father of the promise. God started a new covenant with Abraham. He said, your descendants will be like the sands of the seashore, like the stars in the sky. It got real with Abraham. And then what happened? Abraham, sure enough, had a son, Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And then so it continued and so it continued. And then it gets all the way to our boy David. Woo! King David, the giant slaying, guitar playing, song singing, rock slinging David. 
Like, we know David, right? King David. And David was a big deal because with the kingdom under David, it, it was amazing. Like, the kingdom progressed, it prospered, it grew, and it felt like the nation of Israel finally stepped into God's promise. Like, this is what God had for us. And sure enough, after King David, we got his son Solomon. And Solomon took it further, right? The kingdom just flourished even more. And all of Israel were like, God is real. Look, we've stepped into his promise. And then these prophecies started. These prophecies started that said there will be a Messiah. There will be a Savior. There will be a second Adam, a perfect one, that will turn everything upside down, that will truly set Israel on top that will solidify God's chosen people, and he will come through the line of David. Oh, if you're in the nation of Israel, you're like, whoa, like we're, we're conquering, we're ruling, and the Messiah is coming from King David. It felt like they were unstoppable, and then it continued. David and Solomon, Solomon and Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, and it continued, it continued. And then it, there was ebbs and flows. The kingdom kind of went up and down and up and down because what happened? The nation of Israel did what a lot of us do. We say yes to Jesus and we want to obey all his ways, but then they started to look around at other kingdoms and other cultures and say, ooh, I want a little bit of what they have and I want a little bit of what they have. And year by year, generation by generation, all of a sudden the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel looked more like other kingdoms than God's kingdom. And because of that, they saw decline all the way to Josiah. And then Josiah had a son, Jeconiah. Jeconiah. And Jeconiah had like a really short reign as king. It was like three or four months. In 2 Kings chapter like 23 and 24, you can read about him. Said he, he reigned for like three or four months. And then the king of Babylon wanted to show Jerusalem who was really in charge. And he came and he captured Jeconiah, took him back to Babylon to kill him. And then so Jeconiah's uncle took over, Zedekiah. And that's where we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 1. Y'all ready? Say yeah. yeah. Thank you. This side's really ready. This side, we'll get there. Here we go. And it reads, the story of Zedekiah, Jeconiah's uncle. Verse 1. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Pause. How many of you have heard of King Nebuchadnezzar before? Right? I call him King Nebi, Nebi Neb. He was actually Nebuchadnezzar II. His dad was one of the greatest kings over one of the greatest empires the world had ever seen. His dad expanded the Babylonian empire further than it had ever gone before. And at the end of his dad's life, Nebuchadnezzar was a general in the army. And to prove himself, his dad sent Nebuchadnezzar against the great empire of Egypt, against the pharaoh Necho. And sure enough, King Nebuchadnezzar, before he was king as a general, went and defeated Egypt, slaughtered the Pharaoh. And then when he returned back to Babylon, he found that his elderly father had passed. And now he returned to Babylon, the hero, the general, and the new king of Babylon. And so a few years go by and he starts to expand the kingdom. Historians tell us that Nebuchadnezzar II, this guy, was probably in world history only second to Alexander the Great as far as his empire and power. They said if he had the technology of Alexander the Great or Napoleon Bonaparte or of Adolf Hitler, we could all be Babylonian today. Nebuchadnezzar was not playing. And it says, not long into his reign, he set his sights on Jerusalem, on Israel. 
and it said he took his entire army. Now, this was the army that beat Egypt. This was the army that slayed the Assyrians. And he took the entire army, and it says he laid siege. What siege meant is the walls of Jerusalem were too high, so they couldn't actually attack it because they would lose too much life. So he said, fine, if we can't attack you head on, we will entrap you, we will surround you, and we will cut off all your food and water supply until you die from the inside out. It's gruesome. Side note, um, Pastor Craig gave me this passage to teach. Um, I, he was like, hey, we're going to do the series about exile. I was like, awesome. He's like, you're going to be up December 6th. I was like, sweet. He was like, 2 King, Kings 25. I was like, awesome. And I haven't read 2 Kings in a minute. And so I went back and kind of read it. And I got to chapter 25. And honestly, it's one of the most gruesome, like, just to put it bluntly, depressing chapters I've ever read. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah. And your, you know, your sermon's on hope. <laughs> I was like, Merry Christmas. So I read it, and it said they laid siege on Israel, on Jerusalem. Verse 2, so the city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. They laid siege for 18 to 30 months. It's a year and a half to two and a half years. Couldn't leave the city without dying. Historians tell us it got so bad, many of them resorted to eating the dead. This is who we are. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Verse 4, then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of Arabah. Verse 5, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Did you catch that? So the king was a coward. The people were dying. And what did the king do? He came up with a plan. Hey, army, we're going to sneak out through the walls and run, and you're going to protect me. And if we get far enough away, we'll get out of here. And so he makes a run for it. And sure enough, they chase him down. And they catch him where? Jericho. There's a historian named Dilday, and he writes this. It seems ironic that here, at the very spot where Israel first set foot on the promised land, the last of the Davidic kings was captured and his monarchy shattered. Here, where Israel experienced her first victory as the walls of Jericho fell before unarmed men who trusted God was the scene of her last defeat. Isn't it funny how God often brings things full circle when we disobey him? We've probably seen that in our own lives. I know I have. God, I love you. I trust you. Here we go. And we start out on a journey in our lives. And not too long, we start like mimicking this person, wanting what they have. And we take our eyes off of God and his will in our lives. And have you ever had one of these moments in life? How did I get here again? How did I end up right back here? The nation of Israel, the kingdom of Jerusalem, is often a great metaphor, a mirror for our lives. The very place where they started to obey God with no weapons and God gave them victory was the very place where they were shrouded in armor and slaughtered because they disobeyed God. The passage continues. Verse 6, then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. Side note, this is not a PG story. The Bible is not PG. If you think the Bible's boring, you haven't read it. Did you catch what just happened? It said they caught him. 
And they brought him to Babylon. They brought him to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, they say across history, the Assyrians were the most gruesome, the worst, when it came to torture. And the, Babylon, the Babylonians beat the Assyrians, and they learned a lot of their methods from the Assyrians. So they took Zedekiah, and before they killed him, they made him watch as they killed every one of his children, one by one in front of him. And then they gouged his eyes out. So the last thing he saw was his kids dying. And we hear that and we're like, that's awful. But what we forget and what Israel knew here was this was the end. Zedekiah was the last Davidic king. So when Nebuchadnezzar killed his children and killed him, it was as if he was saying, I own you now. And if you were an Israelite in Jerusalem and your city just got sieged and your king ran and the army came in and ransacked the city and then you found out the king died, but before he died, all his children died. In other words, there was no more Davidic line. It was over. Not only were you surrounded, I don't know about you, but has 2020 left you feeling a little surrounded? Like this has just been a year where it feels like as soon as you get a little gain in one area, another area hits you, right? Like I'll be like, ah, oh, ministry's going well, ah, marriage. And I'll be like, okay, marriage is going better, ah, career. And I'll be like, career's going better than, ah, health. And it just feels like I'm surrounded, right? You just get attacked. And if you don't feel surrounded and trapped, and many of us can relate to the starving on the inside, it just feels like there's a void this year. And it doesn't know, it doesn't matter what we try, like we can't feel it, like there's a purpose. There's somewhere God wants us and we can't get there, much like the feeling of exile. And after feeling all of that, the nation of Israel hears his children are dead and the king. What does that mean? Have you ever had somebody break a promise to you? You ever had somebody break a promise? Maybe somebody looked at you in the eyes on an altar and said, I do, only later to mean I don't. Maybe somebody said, I'll never leave you. You can always count on me. And you look around today and they're nowhere to be found. We've all probably felt a promise broken before but if you're the nation of Israel you're looking up and you're going but God you promised you promised if we followed you that the Messiah would come God you promised you promised you promised us that the Messiah would come. And if there's no Davidic line, there can be no Messiah, you liar. Did I believe, am I a fool? If you're in the nation of Israel, it is all over. Suffice it to say, all hope was lost. See, that's, that's what this passage means. There's no more hope. They look like fools. And it got worse. Keep reading it. We don't have time. But Nebuchadnezzar sent a second wave to the city to remind them who's in charge. 
he sends this guy, I always pronounce his name wrong, so I wrote it down, Nebuzaradan, Nebuzaradan, which literally translated to the chief slaughterer. He was his captain of the guard. He sent him and he killed as many people as he wanted, captured as many as he wanted, took all the gold, bronze, and silver, literally looted the city, tore down the great Jerusalem walls, tore them down to rubble, and then leveled every important building in the city as if to remind them, we own you. And it got worse. He sent a third wave. There was a little bit of an uprising, a few of them that were like, oh, no. And Nebuchadnezzar was like, no, no, no. Third time they came through, took all the Israelites they wanted, and any of that that were left fled in exile to Egypt where it was even worse. Does ever feel like things just get worse and worse? I have to imagine, like, man, if you're these people, how abandoned and betrayed do you feel? Remember who you are, church. This is our people. Utterly hopeless. And if that was the end of 2 Kings chapter 25, we would have no Bible. We would have no Christianity. There would be no central or zeal. In 2 Kings chapter 25, it's a historical account. If you read it in Hebrew, the first 10 verses kind of go and, and, and. It's a run-on sentence. It's like, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And it's void of emotion. You have to go to Lamentations to hear the emotion. It's just telling you, man, this got bad, it got bad, it got bad. And and it's so funny because we don't relate to this and we don't understand really what they were going through here. Like, there's a famous prophet named Jeremiah. We love to quote him. Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of us have it in our houses over the fridge, right? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you and prosper you. And we see that before we got out of the house and we're like, amen, God, I received that. Let me just tell you, like I met a pastor. He said, I would not wish Jeremiah 29, 11 on my worst enemy. We pull that right out of context. Jeremiah 29, 11 was written to Israelites in exile. And the previous verse to Jeremiah 29, 11, check it out in the whole chapter, says the way to prosper is to look out for the welfare of the city you're in. What city were they in? Babylon. So God was telling his people through the prophet Jeremiah, the only way I will prosper you and bless you is if you look out for the welfare of the very city and government that slaughtered your people. Isn't it fun when we pull scripture out of context? Sorry, I just ruined some of your life verses. It's a good verse. Receive it if God gave you that word. But they were utterly hopeless. And then there's four verses at the end. And it reads, verse 27. And in the the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, which was Jeconiah, same guy, king of Judah, In the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year he began to reign, so this is the king after Nebuchadnezzar, graciously freed Jeconiah, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jeconiah put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table, and for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. And for us, we could just read that, and it's like, oh, cool. 
But imagine you're an Israelite, a Hebrew, and you fled and you've been living in exile, maybe on the outskirts of Egypt, and you're walking around your village one day and you hear a name, a name you haven't heard for 40 years. 40 years you thought God forgot about you. 40 years you thought God betrayed you. 40 years you thought the promise was a lie. 40 years you probably gave up faith. And you hear a name. You walk over and you say, hey, what did you just say? And what are you talking about? I, you, just said, you just said Jeconiah. Why would you say that name? Oh, you didn't hear? What are you talking about? He's been dead for 40 years. Nah, man. He's alive. Stayed alive the whole time in prison. King of Babylon just let him out. And in that moment, if you're an Israelite, you realize the king is alive. And if the king is alive, his promise still stands. If the king is alive, there's still hope. And if there's still hope, then you better believe I got something to live for. And I just think like, what if you were Jeconiah? You only served as king for three months and then you got captured. How much of a failure do you feel like? And you're put in a Babylonian dungeon and one year goes by, five years goes by, a decade goes by. There's no end to your sentence. Why did he not just give up and die? Central, zeal, if I was gonna bring a word to some of you today, here's what I know. Some of you today feel like you're barely hanging on. Someone out there watching online today feels like your marriage is barely hanging on. Your health is barely hanging on. Your job, your future is barely hanging on. And you're saying, God, I feel like I'm barely surviving. But if 2 Kings chapter 25 tells us anything, is never underestimate the power of a survivor. Never underestimate what God can do with a survivor. I don't know what you're going through today, but if you are alive, you are surviving, and God is not done with you. We are a people of survivors. Oh, come on, Central. It's funny, Nate, earlier, he was like, you got some Pentecostal in you. I said, bro, I was raised Southern Baptist. I just love Jesus. He survived. He survived. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I want to thrive. I want this, this, Sometimes all you can do is survive, and that's all God's asking of you. Never. Man, maybe your marriage isn't about your happiness. Maybe it's about your great-grandchildren. Survive. And Jeconiah had a son. And the line continued. And he had a son, Zerubbabel, who actually became kind of a king, a leader, a ruler. And the ebb and flow started again. And the hope raised again. And things were picking back up for Israel. And then it like went up and down and up and down like it always had. But the hope was alive. And it came all the way to this guy named Jacob. 
named after his great, 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 great grandfather over here. And Jacob had a son, and his name was Joe. And Joe worked with wood. He's a woodworker. Joseph was a carpenter. And Joseph met a girl named Mary. And they had a son named Jesus. In a couple weeks, we celebrate that one right there. But here's the deal, guys. Jesus lived. 30 years into his life, he started to do some things that caught the attention of the temple, that caught the attention of the government. Those that knew the prophecies of the Messiah started to murmur, could this be the one? He sounds like the one. Followers started to come around Jesus. You're the one, you're the one, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, you're going to overthrow Rome, you're going to change everything, you're going to put God's chosen people back on top. You're the one, you're the one. And then the empire of Rome, who learned the craft of torture and murder from the Assyrians and Babylon, said, let us teach you a lesson about who's really in charge. And they took the one, Jesus, and crushed him in the most gruesome way possible. Thought what they did to Zedekiah was bad? Read the crucifixion narrative. And if you're Jesus' disciples, you're going, not again. They know the story. Not again. Our king is dead. All hope is lost. That's why they hid. That's why they ran. It was over. A day went by, another day went by, and a third day went by. And a couple women went to the grave to embalm the, the body. And one of them, Mary, ran back to the disciples and she echoed these ancient words, staring the disciples eye to eye. Out of breath, she said, he's alive. The king is alive. He's alive. And all of a sudden the disciples said, what, 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 what are you talking about? He's alive. And then they met him face to face and they realized that if the king that beat death was alive, that their hope was no longer in a Davidic bloodline, but there was now a living hope that no government, no ruler, no empire could ever squash or kill because this king beat death. And if the king can beat death, then our hope is always alive. We have a living hope, Central. I came to tell you today, the reason we celebrate Christmas, the reason we celebrate Easter, the reason we have a zeal every day we wake up is because the king is alive. And if the king is alive, you have a living hope. Father, thank you. Thank you, God. Father, right now, I just pray over everybody watching online, everybody engaging in the chat room, everybody here under the sound of my voice. God, I pray for those that feel like they're at the end of their rope today, that feel like they're barely hanging on, that they're just surviving. God, I pray that you would remind them that you use survivors, that you use survivors beyond what we could even imagine. Thank you, God, that we are a people that survives. And God, for any of us today feeling surrounded and attacked, feeling starved and deprived, feeling hopeless, 
God, we just thank you and declare it right now that our King is alive. God, I pray that you would supernaturally infuse us with the living hope, a hope that does not disappoint, a hope that is infused in us via the Holy Spirit because we know you conquered death. And so there is nothing we are facing that we cannot face head on with courage because you did, Jesus. Father, thank you for times of exile and what you teach us through them. Thank you for 2020 and how hard and difficult it's been. And thank you that we're surviving. Thank you for what you're teaching us. And thank you, Jesus, that we have a living hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray.